Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. This is episode 98. Your favorite data nerds are back with the latest and everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. And of course, my name is Jordan Levine, Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my partner and good friend, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hi, Jordan. Hi, everyone. I think we're doing a little bit better about staying consistent on our timing on these, and there's been a lot of releases, so we're happy to bring you an update because we've got our, our June press release that just went out, so the dust has settled on the MLS, and we can tell you what happened last month. We can tell you a little bit about what we think is coming down the pike. Of course, we want to talk about the Fed, the Fed's meeting today as we record this, and so uh, we're all going to find out what's going to happen with interest rates, and then, of course, it, it makes sense then to talk about the broader macro economy in light of that, so I think that's the kind of lay of the land for today is to start with housing and then maybe zoom out a little bit to, to what it means going forward. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. And I, I hate to say this, you know, that we cannot report the <laughs> Fed funds rate um, announcement before, you know, our recording, but, you know, hopefully our speculation will give you our speculation. Hopefully, you know, that would be, uh, that would be uh, right on. And, yeah. and as you said, Jordan, uh, uh, we're a little bit more uh, consistent, partly because I know, you know, the market, you start shifting. I think, you know, our audience, our members want to know more about the market and the macroeconomics. So we want to be, uh, you know, uh, provide you the information as soon as we have those information. And that's why we're here. 100%. So let's talk about housing first and foremost, because sure. we had a, a crazy month in the numbers. It seems like we are, you know, seeing that kind of um, acceleration to the downside. And we saw that with home sales this month, too. Yeah, you know, if someone has, if anyone has any doubt that we are you know, going through a market shift, I can tell you that the June's number is telling us that we are definitely softening as far as demand is concerned. Now, uh, you know, we have been seeing sales uh, early part of the uh, year uh, still was at uh, over 400, but it started dropping to, you know, below 400,000 seasonally adjusted starting in May, and it dropped a little further in June. In fact, uh, it dropped uh, tw about 20% compared to um, a, a year ago, um, as far as uh, sales are concerned. And that's understandably, um, we, we can understand, you know, how that happens, because, you know, interest rates have gone up quite significantly, right, by about, what, 250 basis point. And at the same time, May actually, in May, we actually saw another record price. In fact, you know, that record price actually got adjusted to just slightly over 900,000. 900,000 median price. That's, that's pretty significant. And, um, you know, the, that actually, you know, le uh, resulted in some of the uh, buyers uh, pulling back a little bit. Yeah, partly definitely. because of supply, partly because of affordability. Yeah, and supply is still no picnic out there, but, uh, you know, sales really do seem to be bearing the brunt. You know, we haven't seen sales, you know, below 350 like they were in Ju uh, June for, you know, we, we saw it, I guess, at the immediate onset of the pandemic, right? Sales plunged mm -hmm. uh, during that initial lockdown. But outside of that initial 
pandemic timeframe, we haven't seen sales, you know, below this 350 mark, I think going all the way back to 2012 or even, even before, I think it might have been. Even before, like, like 2008 or something. I can't remember the exact month. So, you know, it's, it's a significant decline. It's not just that it's a 20% drop from last year's levels, which were, you know, pretty high. It's also just that the levels, uh, you know, of, of sales themselves are, are, you know, at, at again, decade, decade low levels. Right. And, and what's interesting is that even though we haven't seen it, you know, affect prices yet in terms of, um, you know, overall price, price levels, we do see it affecting price growth already, right? Because at, at five and a half percent, roughly in June, that's a market slowdown um, from where we were even earlier this year. Yeah. And if you take a look at, you know, the median price by itself, 863,000, that's still very high, you know, obviously. But uh, if you look at, you know, for people who have been studying, you know, the seasonality and everything like, you know, as nerds have been doing, we know that, okay, May, you know, May shouldn't be the, the month that actually peak in price, but we're seeing, you know, a little bit of slowdown, you know, in, in June, dropping a little bit compared to the previous month. Now, there are reasons for it. And um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have some dip in sales, but in the, in the first, you know, three or four months of the year, we actually did not see dip in sales that much in the high-end area, right? Yeah. And, and we have started to see the top end of the market in particular, you know, it's still not falling by as much as other segments of the market, but that's the big change, right? If you look right. at what was growing um, in terms of market segments last year, in terms of transactions, and then what segments of the market are growing today, I, I, we were still seeing high double and even triple digit growth um, at the very high end of, of the housing market. And that has since dwindled, I think last year, last month was the first time we didn't see uh, that that kind of positive increase across the board still at the high end and so you know we've had that inventory struggle at the bottom end for a long time and sales have been down at the bottom end for a long time but sales were going up pretty significantly right. last year at the top end and now they're not yeah, it's it's. I believe it's uh, the first time in 25 months. So mm. you know, basically since the the pandemic. I mean, obviously the pandemic lockdown you know, created some uh, uncertainty, and it wasn't wasn't a surprise when sales dropped all at all price level. Mm. But we started seeing that happening uh, in in the high end. And that could be partly because of, of course, interest rates. But, you know, we are seeing some fluctuation in the stock market, particularly in the tech stock market as well. And that changed the mix of sales a little bit. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because it affects uh, price as well. Yeah, because we're doing a median price. And so when you aren't seeing double and triple digit growth and two million and up anymore, then you don't get that kind of extra boost to uh, to the median price mm -hmm. just because you're concentrating so many transactions up there at the top end. But it's not just a mix of sales thing, right? Because there's no, both, we, we kind of talked about the, the transaction side, but, and, and even though I said, you know, it's still no picnic on the listing side, listings are still depressed by historical standards, but they're at basically the highest levels that we've seen um, since the pandemic started now and have been rising. And, and you see that in our, in our unsold inventory numbers. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, for people who have been paying attention to the unsold inventory index, it is a ratio, a ratio between, you know, supply and demand. But at the same time, you know, we are seeing um, 
people notice, you know, the potential home sellers, uh, people who are holding on to their properties, uh, they notice that, well, you know, it looks like the market has actually uh, maybe reaching its peak. Some people might be testing the market, putting their house on the market to try to maximize their uh, profit from selling a home. But at the same time, you know, the, uh, the, the pullback in demand also keeps some of the active listings on the market. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a, you know, that's when you look at the listings themselves, they're up pretty, pretty significantly, right? The biggest growth we've right. seen in like uh, 90 months. We've been in a inventory crunch for a very long time and have a uh, increase that's, you know, in the high double digits is pretty impressive. It's like 60%. It's been consistently, you know, uh, growing at for the last few months, uh, uh, looking at like, 20 and then 40 and then now 60% of increase in active listings. So, you know, with, with the increase in active listings uh, and some pullback in demand, obviously we're see, seeing, you know, some uh, cool off in market competition as well. Yeah. Um, that could be interpreted, you know, when you look at, you know, the, uh, the number of days in market, um, yeah. number of uh so listings with reduce reductions in price, uh, how many people offered, you know, um, the above asking price, all those kind of factored in. And of course, um, it affects also, you know, uh, the expectation and what we can expect, you know, for the uh, upcoming months in terms of demand and, and supply. Yeah. And price and, and everything too. Yeah. Right. I think that, you know, when I looked at that number in the weekly data yesterday, I think, you know, it was like 43% or something like that of transactions last week that closed above what they were listed for on the MLS. And if you even go back to like March, mm -hmm. um, February, that was like 75% almost. So uh, wow. there has been a pretty, pretty marked, you know, deceleration or cooling in terms of that overall uh, market competition. Some of it is listings. And I think some of it, again, is that forward looking demand side where we could probably expect prices to continue to be softer because it wasn't just the 20% decline on the close side last month. I know. Uh, the pending numbers um, go down by over 40%. And, and so I think that means, you know, that we can expect July and August to be fairly light on transactions too. Yeah, and we 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 did some you know calculation on our end. You know, obviously the pending sales dropping forty percent uh, may not necessarily mean that we are expecting close sales to drop by that much, but it's probably safe to say we will expect a maybe a twenty twenty five percent decline in uh, close sales. So that is going to affect you know price, and that is going to affect uh, the uh, uh, competition. But at the same time, you know, I know uh, Jordan, you pulled some data on you know the mortgage purchase app applications as well and it suggests a similar story that does i mean it's interesting if you look at the mortgage applications this year uh compared to 2020 2021 we've been falling you know by basically double digit levels from from those kind of 15 year highs for a number of months like you know mm -hmm. four or five months in a row but what's interesting is that we're now finally um pretty consistently now falling below even wow. the pre-pandemic levels of 2018 and 19 and so i think you know, it's, it does suggest that there's um, a rebalancing in the market, right? That supply and mm -hmm. demand, you know, and the price mechanism works and that you have this kind of um, excess demand and this insatiable appetite from both the low rates and, um, you know, the pandemic making our, the, you know, the home so important. Everybody, everybody wanted to own their own home. Everybody could work remote there right. for a while, all of that stuff, um, you know, and, and that created this kind of 
heated market that then, you know, eventually lures some supply back onto the market mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. some buyers out. And so that just market mechanism uh, is kind of reasserting itself. And I think that's what you're seeing play out both on the price numbers, but also on the supply and demand side too. Yeah. And, and the same uh, stories apply, same story applies to um we're seeing it at the national level. We saw that NAR released some numbers, even though I think they made another their price, you know, hit in the record highs. But their sales actually dipped also. But we're also seeing that on the uh, the new home sales. New home sales recently released, you know, the, some numbers, and it's, sh- it's showing that it's also you know dipped quite a bit uh, in June. So it's it's applying to you know buyers across all markets, not yeah. just in existing single family homes. Yeah, and not just in California. I mean, we're we're kind of on the bleeding edge here, but uh, you know, just in terms of we were so competitive and we were kind of the epitome of the hyper competition mm-hmm. and growth and in housing and all of that stuff, and are kind of on the leading edge as things start to cool down a little bit. What do we think, you know, going forward? Because I think the big kind of elephant in the room is mm-hmm. the Fed, right? And when you um, looked out kind of across the spectrum, we think the Fed is poised to raise rates by at least 75 basis points um, today and probably with a lot more to go as as we come down the pike. And that's something that we're seeing pretty much across the board in, you know, globally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the reason why we're seeing, um, you know, the Fed, you know, pretty aggressive on, on on interest rates or rating their Fed funds rate, and obviously we don't know exactly how ma- how much they're going to raise it, but at least seventy five basis point, both of and you and I be, uh, believe, um, and that's because inflation of inflation. Inflation is not just affecting the U.S., but it's affecting all over the world. Now, the Federal Reserve will will uh, increase rates this time, and then maybe another fifty to seventy-five or whatever in yeah. um, in September. And other countries are doing the same thing. I believe um, the European um, Bank (ECB) they actually uh, raise rates to now it's above what they call the negative. Um, interest rates, right? They had a negative interest rates for so long, but now it's above. And you're, you're it applies. Paying you to, to... <laughs> right, right. And and we know that you know based on projections, economists' projections, we know that inflation is probably not going to go away uh, anytime soon. In fact, you know the June's number that we received was at what nine point one percent, and that's the forty-year uh, high. Yeah, every every month is a new 40 year high for inflation. And actually, if you look not just at our forecast, but um, this is is the UCLA forecast that, you know, it's expected to remain pretty stubbornly high. Right. And so I mm-hmm. think that um, ultimately we can expect at least uh a 75 basis point rate hike, you know, here in July, and potentially even more, you know, I, I don't know that the Fed is going to be scared off by some of the um, challenging or the troubling economic numbers enough, you know, to kind of back off their war against inflation, especially when you look at projections like this and some of the supply chain stuff is working itself out. You had a great chart that you shared about the the kind of supply chain starting to come back online, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, you know, we're not back to normal, but it's just the the kind of upward pressure isn't as intense. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing some signs of hope, you know, lights at the end of the tunnel, but the question is, how far is the end of the tunnel? Right. Um, 
and and it could take you know, sometime it could take months i mean we are seeing at the headline for the headline inflation hopefully next month or july or, or august that you know the gas prices have come down a little bit we're seeing some gas prices come down i think from um mid of june it was for the us it was averaging about you know five dollars a gallon but now it's more like uh four fifteen or so so yeah, we're seeing some was, signs yeah. Still very expensive. I'll just throw that. Down. It is. It is still expensive. I mean, relative to you know what we are accustomed to, like two years ago, three years ago. So it's going to take some time for it to adjust, and that's why you know if you look at the inflation forecast, it's not going to come down very very fast. It is going to come down, yep. hopefully, hopefully, um, but it is going to take some time. Yeah. So you know, ultimately, this all has implications. I think for the macro economy too, right? It's not just a kind of rate housing side story, but you know, the housing is um, you know incredibly tied to what's going on in the rest of of the economy. And you can see that as people have been struggling to keep up with these prices, as they have kind of um, soured on the housing market or mm -hmm. cracked out of the housing market because of interest rates and things like that. You can see that both businesses and consumers um, are becoming increasingly pessimistic. Actually, I think, you know, we've right. had uh, the lowest levels of consumer confidence in uh, many, many years. And this is the, the Michigan number, but I think the conference board number showed that actually it wasn't just expectations about the future anymore, right? It's that actual current economic conditions um, have deteriorated for a lot of consumers out there. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it has dropped down to, you know, the lowest level uh, that we have. And um, I think, well, it's dropped, you know, for the third consecutive months for the consumer confidence, as you mentioned, you know, the consumer sentiment dropped down to the lowest level in years. And then it's also on the uh, the business side, the business leader side, because yeah. business leaders, they make decisions on, you know, whether to uh, hire people, where to, um, you know, buy, you know, their uh, business investments and all that stuff. Um, and if they started, you know, thinking twice about whether they should invest, that actually affects a lot of things uh, uh, like their expectation, uh, their uh, assessment. I think you know the uh, some of the business leaders, the CEOs and CFO. They many of them actually expect. I think sixty percent or seventy percent of them expect to have a recession before the end of twenty twenty three. So they have to act accordingly. Right. Um, and as such, you know that's going to affect the uh, macroeconomic outcome. Right, because it's not just a sentiment thing, right? These guys are actually, in, and girls, I didn't mean, you know, no gender there, but I just, you know, folks are going to be out there making decisions about how much money to spend, how many people to hire, uh, and all of that stuff. And actually, if you look at the, the job market, right, it's still mm -hmm. relatively robust. We added jobs in California again last month, you know, but the pace of job growth has slowed. And actually nationwide, we're seeing the jobless claims um, have started to rise a little bit. They're nowhere near, you know, they're barely a blip on the radar when you compare it to the jobless claims of a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, they're no longer kind of at those rock bottom and falling levels anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it has risen to, you know, an eight month high. But, you know, if you look at um, how it compares to, say, you know, uh, pre-pandemic level and what the unemployment rate has been. You know, right. unemployment rate continued to stay below four. In fact, you know, stay uh, for the fourth straight month at 3.6%, uh, which is very, very low. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's interesting too, right? Because in some ways, the, the kind of, a lot of the inflationary pressure 
now is coming on the wage side, right? And we have this big imbalance between, you know, that like you said, the supply chain stuff is easy uh-huh. a little bit as a source of inflation. But I think the the labor market and wage inflation is becoming a bigger piece, you know, and, and what's interesting is that is whether folks will feel as firmly in the driver's seat as workers, you know, if unemployment starts to go up or businesses aren't hiring uh, as, as ferociously. And so those things I think are, are tied, but I don't think, you know, it, it takes a kind of a recession to back off the, the pressure valve on wages first, right? So. Well, and that's uh, even though you know those are you know somewhat uh, those those are news about you know okay, well the the economy easing a little bit, but you know if you think about it, that's the intent of the Federal Reserve in the first place. They want to pull back some demand, right? And 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 that's why we're seeing, even though you know the the there's some slowdown in the uh, economy in terms of the labor market, it seems like you know um, as far as the labor market is concerned, people are welcoming some of those news because that means you know we are seeing um, uh, some slowdown in inflation. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's also just a kind of um, petering out of the rebound effect, right? You noticed that, and uh, and we talked about that too, is just that a lot of those sectors that were really down and out uh, and struggling because of the COVID restrictions and things like that have now largely um, recovered, you know, and so so the gains from reopening restaurants and having people go, go to hotels again, the, the kind of effect of the reopening effect, if you will, has largely um, played itself out. And so we could expect more modest growth kind of regardless of future headwinds or not. It's just that kind of bounce back part is over. Yeah, I mean, we, we we saw a lot of people, you know, uh, going back to the economy, you know, visiting uh, restaurants and things like that. And at the same time, you know, we have to remember in the last few weeks, we might have a little bit of uptake as well, you know, as far as the number of cases. So people might be, you know, pulling back. And we are, even though we, we're still feeling the heat, it's still, you know, pretty warm in Southern California, um, we are, you know, closing in on the end of the uh, summer, you know, yeah. then the traveling part of it probably is, as you said, you know, petering out a little bit. Yeah, I get to send my kids back to school on about <laughs> two and a half weeks and 42 hours and 14 minutes. So we're, pretty, uh, <laughs> we're very excited for that. But, uh, but what about looking forward, right? Because it does seem like that, you know, we talked about how the Fed was really trying to walk the tightrope or thread the needle um, and all of that stuff when it comes to, uh, <clears throat> you know, their fight against inflation and kind of how they... Um, they they weigh that against the broader um, economy, but you know the yield curve is is the thing that I wanted to talk about because it Absolutely. seems like they're no longer um, walking the tightrope. They're just you know they're kind of fo- hyper focused on the inflation side and and you know economy be damned in some sense because you know the yield curve has been inverted now. Not just you know over the last couple of months we've seen the yield curve invert for like a day or two here and there, but it's been inverted now. Um, for 15 for, days or something like that? Two weeks consecutive and getting more inverted every day. And you can actually see the inversion here on the yield curve chart, finally, where you really had to zoom in with the magnifying glass. Before. <laughs> um, you know, does that mean that we're we're headed towards recession or what do you, I mean, well, explain the implications of an inverted yield curve. If you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's take a look at the yield curve you know, you said, you know, we, we said, you know, it's about two weeks, three weeks. It's hard to believe that, you know, in the past, what, 15, 16 years, we have never 
uh, had the in, uh, uh, the yield curve inverted for that long. Last time we actually had the yield curve inverted for longer than 15 days. In fact, it was in 2006, and that was it, it was in, it inverted for like 200 days or so. Yeah. So, so now of course, and and we know what happened after that. We did have a recession in 08, 09, 010, uh, 08, 09, and 2010. And the yield curve inversion is basically the difference between, you know, the yield curve itself is basically the difference between the 10-year bond yield and a two-year bond yield. You know, for people who are in the real estate industry, you know that 30-year fixed rates mortgage usually charge a little bit higher than the 15 years. And that's because, you know, when you have a long term that is a little bit longer, you tend to have a little bit more risk. So that's the same thing applies to yield curve here. Um, and when you, we have a yield curve inversion, that means you, people are charging a higher rate than the 10 year on the 10, two years than the two, 10 years. That means there are more risk in the, in the recent term. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, right? Because it, it, you would think if I'm loaning you money for 10 years, anything can happen. You could lose your job, you could get hit by a bus, you know, economy could tank, all of that stuff. Whereas, you know, you're pretty um, solid for the next couple of years and you're definitely solid for the next couple of months, right? And so as you kind of increase that time frame, you're just exposing yourself to the likelihood that you won't get paid, get paid back. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the, the fact that the two-year that the two year is having to, you know, pay such high returns just to get people to buy them suggests that those bond markets out there are worried about, about the near term, right? They're yeah. worried about the A recession, <laughs> right? And, and that in and of itself isn't, you know, it's, it's almost like who cares what, what people think, but you can see here that every time we've had these sustained, you know, uh, inversions that we have seen the recession follow afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I'm only showing back, you know, um, to the, to the late eighties here, but it actually holds true. Even if you go all the way back to like the fifties and the sixties, um, as early as we, as we have data, it's one of the more reliable, um, recession indicators, just because again, those bond markets are really keyed in on what's happening. And if no one wants to buy two year bonds, that mm -hmm. tells you mm -hmm. something else. Their spending plans, their hiring plans, their investment plans, right, and all of that stuff. So. Right, and and the longer the inversion. Now, if it only inverted one day, you know, it may not happen. But right. if it inverted for like fifteen days or maybe longer, now we 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 probably expect you know the inversion to continue on for a little longer, not just two weeks, but a little longer. And that's the uh, that's the uh, you know risk that the Federal Reserve has to take. You know, and we know that you know when they start when they start raising rates, you know, a little bit higher, everyone knows or everyone in the market knows that you know there is the possibility of going into a recession, and that's exactly what you know why you know people are expecting that there might. Might be a uh, recessions because we're already seeing some slowdown in the labor market. Next, we'll probably continue to see some slowdown in the retail sales, and um, we we briefly mentioned it earlier that we the there will be a release of the second quarter GDP uh, right. uh, in a couple of days, yeah. Yeah. and we're still you know economists are still debating whether we're going to see a negative uh, uh, number or not. Um, now, even with a negative number, it may not necessarily be exactly defined as a recession right it but be a technical recession necessarily but but it is a concern yeah and i think you know for me i'm more worried and i'm glad you brought up the retail sales because i kind of glossed over this but you know all of this inflation and higher interest rates and stuff and and you know we are a, a almost 
70, I think we're 72% at this point, consumer-driven economy. It's 72% of GDP is consumption. And actually almost all of the growth in GDP has been from consumption recently. Um, but you can see that we've only been able to keep up with these prices and these interest rates, um, not because of all this explosive income growth, even though wage inflation is rising. Um, we've really had to rely on drawing down those savings that we built up from you know stimulus mm -hmm. checks pouring in from Uncle Sam and also running those credit cards back up, meaning that we're probably um, headed for a consumer pullback just because, you, you know, once savings go to zero, once the credit cards get maxed out, then, you know, you're down to just incomes and, and incomes, you know, have to be able to keep pace with inflation, which is at a 40 year um, high and, and we're just not seeing that um, yet. And so that's why when you look at the broader outlook and, and moving forward, I think, you know, our forecast is probably slightly more towards the pessimistic side, right? You could see a 1% GDP growth forecast mm -hmm. for next year. That's a positive, right? So people are like, what are you talking about? Um, being more pessimistic, but that actually allows for a couple of quarters of negative growth, right? Yeah, I mean, we we well, obviously we have been seeing you know some slowdown in you know economic growth um, in the last uh, few months or so. Retail sales, as you mentioned, uh, is actually slowing down and moving into you know 2023. Obviously, we still have half a year to go before 2023, but yeah. we foresee that you know in the next few months and then moving into 2023, we will actually we could possibly see some negative uh, economic activity growth. Right. Um, and at the same time, we're seeing some slowdown in the labor market, even though I do believe that, you know, in the, in the job market, labor market, even though uh, we might have a slowdown, we're not going to see what we saw in the shutdown, like a 15%, you know, uh, unemployment rate. Right. We might actually see some uptake of four, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know if we're going to see five, but. Keep in mind, we're near historic lows right now. So, you know, I think that it's not 2008 all over again. And actually, if you look at our, our housing market forecast, you can see that we do expect the market to continue um, to soften. We have sales going down, you know, and averaging uh, 380,000 for the year, which mm -hmm. includes kind of starting out somewhere in the 420, 430 range earlier this year and probably trending down somewhere closer to the 350 range where we're at now and probably staying there for, for a relatively decent amount of time and, and probably continuing to, to hover around that level, right? Because we're only forecasting 360,000 sales uh, next year. And we just think that with both that kind of rebalancing of the market that we already talked about where buyer demand is stepping back, inventory starting to normalize, the market's becoming less competitive, and then you mix in kind of a modest economic recession next year that we could see um, prices go down in that kind of single digit range as well. Some of that's going to be a mix issue, right? It's not just the kind of um, pound for pound cost of housing going down by seven, eight percent. I think we're also going to see that top end moderate. Mm -hmm. Do you think mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know, and and you're absolutely right. You know, we are seeing some. Uh, we have been seeing the million dollar home uh, rising pretty significantly in terms of share in the last couple of years or so. And now we're we're seeing some moderation. We're seeing some slowdown. You know, in 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 those share. But if and if you take a look at the 2023 numbers, yes, uh, it, it did slow down a little bit by a uh, mild um, uh, mid single digit uh, in 2023 by 7.1 percent. But let's take a look at how. 
how it compares to 2021, 2020, it's still higher than, you know, what we had two years ago. So a little bit of moderation uh, in 2023 is expected. And part yeah. of the reasons why we're still seeing, you know, this uh, price uh, remain uh, above 800,000 is because we still have very tight supply issue. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I think that, uh, that you know, it's, it's going to continue to normalize. Markets do, in fact, work and rates have gone up and things like that. What about longer term? I think, you know, the, the key that I want to point out as we end all this with a, a, you know, relatively pessimistic forecast here is that, you know, this is going to be a, a temporary deal, right? We're, ha- we're going through a market adjustment of higher rates and, um, you know, this kind of ferociously uh, juiced up, buyer demand driven by a once in a lifetime pandemic that we've never seen and rates that fell to you know all-time low levels and all of that stuff but you know and 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 I constantly get asked well then does, does that mean I shouldn't buy a house right that I should wait and things like that and I think this is very much like a cyclical adjustment when I think about the long-term prospects for housing right and the fundamentals Uh, of that kind of value calculation moving forward. It's still very much in favor of, you know, buying as much property as you can in California, right? Because I keep going back just to that chart where, um, you know, we've gone from 25 to 40 plus million people in the state and and slashed the amount of new construction that we've Mm -hmm. done during that time and added all these new high paying jobs that that you know we just don't have enough housing to go around and so i think even though we're you know forecasting a modest correction in housing both in terms of sales and a little bit on the price side too that you know i think when we get 5 and 10 and 15 years down the road we'll be kicking ourselves for not having bought as much property as we possibly could have afforded, right? Because just that long-term supply demand calculation in California shows that we still just don't have enough housing. And so uh, that's, I think, an important point to keep in mind as we navigate this shift where things are kind of, um, you know, correcting themselves a little yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you look at the long-term supply and demand uh, imbalance, um, Depending on you know which source you look at, you know some people will say we're short two million homes, and some people will say three million units, and we're not really building that many units every single year, and so two and three millions there it's going to take a long time to build if we started actually doing those correct uh, 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 supply uh, 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 putting more supply, but at the same time you know we've shown some charts before if uh, you have seen my our outreaches you know that demand is probably going to continue to be strong because that age group between 26 and 39 they're still going to come out you know and buy or rent and if you you know if you look at we got a lot yeah. of boomers that are getting into their upper years now. Right. So there will be demand for housing. Um, and so, you know, there will, it will continue to grow. As you said, you know, in the next year, this year and next year, there might be some adjustment that will be made in the housing market. But uh, going uh, moving forward, 2024, 2025, obviously, we have to see how the economy uh, does, but it will continue to improve. Um, and I believe that, you know, home prices will continue to, uh, you know, remain um, somewhat elevated. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, for those buyers who are in a good, good position, right? Like some people are going to be negatively affected by 
the recession, some people are going to get promotions and raises and stuff at their jobs and are going to be doing better than ever. And it'll be a great time to be an opportunistic, you know, buyer with not as much competition out there. You can maybe start, you know, asking for stuff from sellers again, or at least mm-hmm. not having to, um, you know, kind of bull your way past 10 other buyers just to get your offer looked at and things like that. So, you know, hey, I, I wish I had more money to go out and buy right now. <laughs> you know, I'd buy a couple of properties just to rent them out. Because again, I think that supply and demand uh, fundamentals are supportive even of, of just owning rental property too. So I know we've gone on and on and given you hopefully a good update on the housing market, on the macro economy and, and where we see things going based on the data that we have in front of us um, thus far. But of course, if, if we update that forecast and, and we're likely to do so several more times before the end of the summer, we will make sure that you guys know it. Did we miss anything important, Oscar? I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah, it was packed full of stuff. I really enjoyed just hanging out and talking to you. It's nice just to be able to informally uh, chat and nerd out on this stuff. And I hope our, our members get benefit too. So I guess we'll, uh, with your blessing, we'll leave it there and we'll see everybody on the next one. All right, see you guys. 